I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Our topic today is marijuana. November 3rd is right around the corner. We've got a couple of ballot measures that will be put before South Dakota uh, voters this year. Constitutional Amendment A is a measure that seeks to change the South Dakota Constitution and legalize recreational marijuana, or as I like to say, so-called recreational marijuana. Initiated Measure 26 is a measure that would uh, create a statute legalizing medical marijuana. Uh, The bishops of South Dakota are encouraging all Catholics to vote against, so vote no on Constitutional Amendment A, and are encouraging all people to to really form their consciences, form their minds, get all the information they need uh, to make a well-informed decision on initiated Measure 26. There are different different principles at stake in there. It's a different different policy position from a theological and moral standpoint from your bishops. Today, I'm I'm joined by a couple of uh, experts on the topic. Uh, Christy Alden-Osmera is a program director of the Adolescent Unit at Keystone Treatment Center in South Dakota. Keystone Treatment Center, of course, being um, really a premier uh, place for rehabilitation and treatment for those um, suffering from alcohol or or, or, or drug use, misuse uh, issues, and also joined by her colleague, Matt Walls. Matt does a lot of really great policy work uh, in addition to some other things at, at Keystone. So Christy and Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Chris. So before we get into the, the topic at hand, you know, I think this is, marijuana is something that we maybe, it's certainly everywhere in pop culture. You know, you can think of name your name your movie, kind of your comedy or whatever, or even non-comedies, pop culture, it's in our news. There's been like this big, and we can talk about some of the myths that are in some of the narratives that have been created out there. But before we get into marijuana and talking about, um, you know, what are some of the nuts and bolts we need to know here? Um, can you just maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves and your background? Christy, you yeah, go first. Um, I'm an addictions counselor as well as a mental health counselor. I've been with Keystone in the field for about 26 years And the entirety of that has been primarily with adolescents. So I've worked inpatient, outpatient, in schools. I've worked um, uh, kind of in agencies uh, around the area, kind of uh, collaborating what we do. And um, and I've had some work with the adults too. So it's kind of a jack of all trades. But I've been with Keystone the entire time. So Great. Mm -hmm. Matt? Thank you, Chris. Uh, Yeah, my name is Matt Walls. I've worked at Keystone for eight years, but I've been in the field of addiction work for about 20 years uh, in recovery advocacy, harm reduction, policy work, you name it. Uh, I've kind of been there. And, you know, every time in the wintertime, I, I start asking, gee, God, is there anything you have for me to do in Hawaii? You know, <laughs> when it gets cold, um, which it will be soon. Yeah, but instead of going to Hawaii in the wintertime, you go to Pier, <laughs> which is where we met. Um, you've, you've been up there and just been doing great work in sharing uh, information with legislators that are trying to make decisions about uh, drug and alcohol policy in a variety of ways. So, so Christy, maybe let's start, Matt, Matt, we'll get to some of the policy, but let's start with some of more of like the counseling and medical side. Sure. Maybe for somebody who's never really thought about some of the, the science behind this at all or been exposed to like, okay, how does this really work? Can you explain just like how, what does marijuana do? Like, how does it work in our brain? 
inside of our brain, we have a lot of cells, right? And they communicate with each other and they are not connected, but they communicate with chemicals called neurotransmitters. Um, the signal goes from one and neurotransmitters are moved to the other and picks it up and carries it along. Where drugs and alcohol work is because they affect the way the cells communicate in the brain. Now, there's certain neurotransmitters that are used for certain types of feelings. Um, dopamine is one that's used for pleasure. So when we have a chocolate bar, we like that. Our brain squirts a lot of dopamine, and which is telling our brain, that was great, let's do this again. Let's not forget this. So we go into a pursuit for more chocolate bars, you know, mm. and we keep rewarding that. So there's kind of a reward pathway um, that, that in particular, all drugs and alcohol, but marijuana does trigger that dopamine pathway. So it ends up being an addictive process because the brain remembers that good feeling and seeks to re return to that and get it back. Um, the other thing it does is there's um, cannabinoid receptors, and that's kind of the basis of um, what happens with marijuana, is it mimics some of the neurotransmitters that are already in the brain. And there are trans, you know, transmitter, neurotransmitter uh, reception sites all over the brain, all over the body. And that's where some of the debate has come in with medical marijuana and some of that impact. Um, and the research is, it's very, it's in its infancy. It's very, very little. So we, um, you know, under a hundred gold standard studies on the different endogenous um, cannabinoid receptors in the brain. Um, but they control things like digestion and um, the ability to relax. Um, they control, they control um, pain receptors. There's some research with that. Um, so some of the effects that you get from marijuana, not only the high or the euphoria, but they get the munchies or, you know, it, it affects the hippocampus in the brain, which is the area that holds on to memories. So long-term users might, or even short-term users, might not remember short-term things. Um, their processing speeds are slowed down. It starts looking a lot like ADD, you know, attention deficit disorder. Um, if you think about the, the cells in our brain, kind of like an electrical cord, that plugs into the wall. Um, that cord has a plastic sheath around it to insulate with the and help the, the signal going, the electricity going through. Yep. Our brains are similar. We have something called myelin uh, around those those sheaths. That's very similar to the plastic. Um, marijuana really impacts that myelin sheath, so the signals long term aren't carried as effectively. If, you know, it affects focus, concentration. It can affect um, drive to do things. Um, it can also affect memory. So, can you, can you say a little more about the cognitive piece and how it impacts our ability to reason? You know, it um, it dampens everything. It's kind of you know, there's a, a, a term we use, the pot fog. You know, it, it mm. really dampens our ability and processing accurately. Um, and when addiction is present, it kind of hijacks that that reward pathway where everything is filtered through. How do I get that high? Um, so it does impact your ability to kind of judge, you know, the, the frontal yeah. lobe where that judgment piece is that kind of gets dampened, shut down. Um, so, yeah, they feel like they can drive better, you know, because I'm high. I'm one with the road, right? Uh, but that's all in that frontal lobe. And uh, when the lights get dimmed, um, they are not able to make the same good decisions um, that they may have done without the fog. Um, they aren't able to sometimes to connect words to thoughts, um, you know, to be able to express feelings, um, to be able to uh, rationalize the long-term impact of their choices from what they're doing right at the moment. How can we distinguish it from other things that may impact our ability to think or judge like alcohol? I think one of the alcohol 
does impact the judgment. And the way alcohol impacts the brain, it kind of shuts the lights off from the front of the brain to the back of the brain. And obviously, the closer to the back of the brain you get, the more likely you're going to die from it. But the first thing that goes offline is that frontal lobe, our Jiminy Cricket, our reasoning, our, our good moral decisions are stored up in the front of the brain. Uh, marijuana has much more pervasive throughout the brain, um, and it tends to stick around a lot longer. Um, THC or tetrahydrocannabinol is a fat-soluble um, chemical, and, and the largest you know portion of fat in our bodies isn't in our hindsights. It you know it is our brain, um, and those chemicals take a long time to come out, and they will impact the function of the brain until it clears out. So if you think about like one joint, one use can take up to 30 days to completely clear out of the brain. Users don't wait 30 days. So they have a buildup, 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 buildup of that THC in the brain, and it is impacting even if it's not causing them to be high. One of the things that gets brought up too with THC is is potency. Mm-hmm. Can, do you have any information or can you share anything about the potency of some of the different um, st- cultivations or strains of marijuana that sure. are being cultivated commercially in certain states or or even just on the black market that may be present in South Dakota right now. Uh, it's 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 kind of scary, actually. It's not like, you know, the 70s and you know, all groovy. You know, the THC counts in, in the marijuana back then, you're looking maybe 5 to 10 12% if it was good stuff, right? Um, but as we have learned genetics and crossbreeding, you know, you can get stuff up to 30% THC. But where we get now into trouble is the derivatives when they're pulling the THC out, creating edibles, creating dabs or wax or shatter, um, some of those things. They can take a pound of leaf plant and condense it into one dab. So you're looking at THC counts as high as 80 to 90 percent. And why is that dangerous? Because it is incredibly um, damaging to the dopamine pieces. And it can cause uh, panic. It can cause some cardiac things. It can cause increased anxiety. Um, What we have seen in the field is um, increased psychosis. So that means hearing and seeing things that they aren't normally there. And uh, it's almost like these these kids that, that have, or even adults that might have a predisposition for like a schizophrenia are pushed over the limits. And there is some research budding on that. Um, that this is uh, kind of something that turns on the genetic structure to maybe where they would never have a schizophrenia, they turn into a schizophrenia. Is that something you see a lot? That's actually, I mean, my notes here, the very next place I was going is with psychosis and comorbidities with depression, anxiety, and and so forth. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah. um, I I think there is a narrative that the industry has created in other places that like this is a harmless sort of thing. It's recreational. Yes. You know, just like taking your canoe down the river. It's recreation. Right. It's like, well, no. Yeah. And, and, and it's a question you have to have. I mean, even us in the field doing assessments, we have to ask beyond how much are you smoking? Is Are mm. you vaping? Are you doing oils? Are you doing dabs? Because that gives us a much better picture of how much THC is in their brain at that point. Um, it does impact depression and anxiety because it plays on that reward pathway, the dopamine, dopamine and serotonin. There are people that will literally smoke themselves into a panic attack and go into the hospital because they think they're having cardiac arrest. Mm. Um, Long term, it can actually make anxiety worse. It can make depression worse. And the psychosis that may come from it may not respond to traditional treatments. So a medication we might normally use in a schizophrenia may not help. So that's, go ahead. Well, and this is this is, in my view, pretty clearly frightening stuff. One of the things that's frightening for me is just as a father, seeing some of the data out of places like 
Colorado, where we see when when the people choose to make so-called recreational marijuana legal, even if it's only legal for, say, 18 and older, 21 and older, we see that teen use really jumps mm-hmm. between 50 and 60 percent in Colorado. Um, can you maybe just share a little bit about your some of your work with young people sure. and... I know for one, accessibility in the states where it's legal is huge. And I tell you, we have a bunch of kids now in the state that want to grow up and go to be horticulturalists in Colorado, you know. Um, So, you know, they think they're going to go be a baker or something and make edibles or whatever. So it's kind of like a it's a it's a mecca for for marijuana down there. I have been down there. I've worked um, at a conference down there for several years and really got a feel, especially like in Colorado Springs. Um, they are struggling with homelessness is going up. They're struggling with a lot of um, impaired driving where that is actually becoming more apparent than alcohol. Um, they're also tra- something we don't think about is that in this legislation, there's often legalization to grow your own. Mm. Um, they require a ton of light and a ton of water and it's, it's blowing the circuits. So yep. they're having a lot of electricity issues out there. Um, I'm a dog lover. We don't think about the way it affects animals but animals will get into these edibles and they have toxicity from the marijuana. Some of them are losing their lives. Um, so it, it's that kind of stuff. But definitely the kids are under the assumption that it's, it's all good. You yeah. know, this is medicine. It's, um, you know, it's good for me. And just because, you know, there's that one guy, that one guy anecdote story, you know, that one guy on Facebook, that one gay, guy on um, Instagram that yeah. had some sort of disorder that got better, you know. Yeah, and it, there's there is this narrative that oh this is just inevitable, but I'm I'm really hopeful, and I, I hope that the the grownups in South Dakota will stand up, and mm-hmm. the grownups can be grownups, and and just we gotta tell our kids like no, this is serious, this is very serious stuff. If you if you're just joining us, this is Faith and Politics, hosted by Chris Motes. I'm joined by Christy Alton Osmera mm-hmm. and Matt Walls from the Keystone Treatment Center. Christy's just been just been sharing with us some of the sort of medical indications and what's happening in the brain when marijuana is ingested. Um, I want to just transition a little bit now, and, and Christy, feel free to chime in if you've got sure. anything else to add along the way, but transition into some of the policy stuff. Um, the Catholic Conference is, is taking a, a hard position against uh, Constitutional Amendment A, and Matt, um, you've indicated that that uh, Keystone has positions also, both Constitutional Amendment A and Initiated Measure 26. Can you maybe just uh, explain those positions a little bit? Yes, I can, Chris. Thank you. Um, So Keystone Treatment Center, along with all of the other drug and alcohol rehabilitation facilities in the state and community mental health centers, have uh, signed on to uh, or adopted a position that we are not in favor Mm. of of these uh, pieces of legislation. Uh, We believe that they would cause more harm than good, especially related to addiction and mental health, which are the, the... the groups that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, uh, and, and I want to go back to Christy's point and, and the conversation we, we just had about adolescence and and um, regulating marijuana like alcohol. There's a lot of people that say, well, let's regulate it like alcohol. We can keep alcohol out of kids' hands. We have a you know 21 and under policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but South Dakota, many people don't realize, we're among the worst states consistently for youth binge drinking, Youth underage drinking rates, youth uh, underage DUI, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're at the worst. We're among the worst every year. And what do we think is going to happen with marijuana? Why will that be different? Yeah. Yeah. 
One of one of the things that we've talked about in the past, and you've got this great image of of we talk about a spectrum of of where we can go with policy, drug policy. Can you sketch this out? Explain explain what this spectrum might be, and then where our current proposal, especially Constitutional Amendment A, but you can talk about twenty six too if you wish. Where these the, the present proposals fall on the spectrum. Great, great, great question. So a lot of people that I talk to will use the term, let's legalize it. Yeah. And when we dissect that, what we find is that there's a lot of different pieces on the spectrum. I call it a policy spectrum. of What does legalize it actually mean? And so let's talk about that. Well, let's unpack it, okay? Uh, on the one side, let's look at it as a pendulum. On the one side is prohibition, okay? And on the far other side is full commercialization, okay? Prohibition, meaning... Not at all. Full commercialization, meaning it's everywhere. It's like Little Debbie snack cakes or something, okay? Um, no rules, no nothing. It's fine, okay? So usually in the world of policymaking, that either or um, fully black, fully white is problematic in a policy arena for a lot of different things. Um, and we're seeing kind of a pushback now to our prohibition on marijuana stance, Right. That's natural in, in an either-or dichotomy type of a policy arena. So within that spectrum, really, so if we go from prohibition, we can look at uh, decriminalization. Because when a lot of people say legalize it, what they're meaning is decriminalize, right? And so there's partial decriminalization, full decriminalization, de facto criminaliz- decriminalization, which is where it's still illegal, but instead of sending you to prison, here's a fine. Okay, and we can talk about those uh, pieces uh, in in a moment if you'd like. Second is medicalization. A lot of people say legalize it; they mean medicalize it, right? Uh, they don't realize often that we already have CBD. We've medicalized it. We have CBD. That's the part of the marijuana plant that a lot of people say has certain medicinal benefit. Okay, great. We already have that. We also have Marinol, which is THC in a pill. It's been available for decades. You can get it from your doctor if you have a medical condition that the doctor feels um, warrants THC. Maybe that's some type of pain or a cancer pain or uh, hunger-related issues to cancer drugs or whatnot. You can take Marinol. You can talk to your doctor about it. I'm not giving a Marinol pitch. You know, It's not like sales uh, pharma rep for Marinol, okay? Right. but we already have it. That's it, the it, message. And I think point being with that, especially with Marinol, um, is that people would think like, oh, there's there's no way that this is not, nobody would have access to it right now. So you talk about something like Marinol, it's like, wait, you, you mean somebody can go into their doctor and already receive a, a lawful prescription? That's the other piece that we haven't mentioned policy-wise is marijuana is, um, it's, a, it's a scheduled drug against, it's, a, it's contrary to federal law. Mm-hmm. We're obviously talking state law right now, but there's the federal law piece too. But Marinol, it's uh, it's been vetted by the FDA. And, That's correct. And you can go into your, your physician. And the nice thing about Marinol too is that we know what its potency is. We know where it's mm. manufactured. We know what goes into it. We know it's consistent. It's still not a drug of choice either. There are yeah. so many other medications that can be used for nausea, for appetites, you know, for the the, you know, that kind of stuff that's being used that are better and have less side effects. Yeah. In fact, the, the websites for these drugs, in fact, say this is a second line treatment. This is not your first line. This should only be used. And it's same with some of the CBD 
um, oils and stuff that they're looking for, like Dervat syndrome, Charlotte's Web, that kind yeah. of stuff. They're saying this is not a first line drug. You need to you need to try some of these other ones that are better for these conditions. Well, and that's a great point. You know, there's uh, there's a whole host of uh, policy organizations that are um, opposing either constitutional amendment A or both A and IM twenty six. And you've got your South Dakota State um, Medical Association, your Association of Healthcare Organizations, and your major hospitals that are all essentially articulating what you've just articulated, mm-hmm. Matt, which is this is not a control. This is, mm-hmm. you know, as a physician, I want to be able to provide you with some level of um, like scientific rigor in terms of looking at what it is that, that I'm prescribing to you. We just don't have that with. No, and, yeah. and to, to say a bit more, um, there's not a precedent for other combustible, smokable things that you're going to be prescribed by your doctor, okay? <laughs> there, uh, there's asthma inhalers, there's nebulizers, that's different than yeah. a combustible, smokable uh, medication, okay? We already have it in a pill. It's called Marinol. Yeah. Uh, it's widely available from any prescription. Or any prescriber can prescribe that yeah. uh, for a legitimate medical condition. So, you know, I I, I say these things, I... I don't make a lot of new friends when I say <laughs> the facts here. But we already have medicalization or partial medicalization of marijuana with CBD and with Marinol. Um, but doctors don't know what to do with, with a smokable thing because there's not a precedence. They don't, there's not other things they prescribe people to smoke. Now, they used to, you know, you need to smoke menthols, you have emphysema. That was, used to be the line <laughs> years ago. Uh, we've come a long way since then, thank God. Um, I don't know why we want, it seems like we'd be going back in time. Yeah. Maybe, uh, can we just pivot just a little bit on policy? What would you say to somebody that says, oh, what a, what a boon to our state tax coffers. There's going to be all this money that we can make. I love that argument. And I say, let's look at the facts. Let's look at precedents. In Colorado, for every dollar they get in state revenue, they're spending $15 to clean up the mess. As a taxpayer, what do we, you know, are we just going to look at the revenue and not the cost? Yeah. What business does that? What government entities do that? That's dumb uh, as a policy position. Let's just look at the revenue and not the cost. Not smart. Uh, let's look at alcohol. For, exa- for example, in South Dakota, for every dollar we make on alcohol, we're spending $80 to clean up the mess. Why, how are we going to do better with marijuana? Uh, come on. Yeah. I don't yeah. And then to, even in Colorado, with the context that I have had, um, there's not a lot of them that are, you know, rolling in the dough because of, you know, because of marijuana. It's just, it's it, because of the cost of treatment, finding t- field tests, you yeah. know, the policing, the all that kind of stuff that goes into that. We, we've got about four minutes or so remaining. One of the concerns that I've had, just in looking at the experience of, of other places where we have data from, uh, be it Seattle or Denver, is is the harm that these sorts of measures have on the, especially recreational, where it's, you can go down to your, your, your pot shop on the corner, mm-hmm. the harm to the poor. We've already talked about the young to a certain extent, but one of the things we can see in some of these other cities is these, um, this commercialized industry, sort of big marijuana disproportionately sets up shop in poor neighborhoods. Is that something, maybe Christy, that that you could validate just from your own anecdotal experience? Yeah, and I think in uh, something Colorado did not anticipate was the cartels. Mm. You know, we're not that far from the the border, and they will come in because they can come in and set up shop for free. Mm. You know, so um, 
they're making a killing off of, you know, bringing in major amounts. Um, so I think you're right. I think those people can get involved and I think they're easy targets. But we also find the reverse is that when they're using, you know, they're going to end up poor, homeless, amotivational, not willing to, you know, do what they need to do all for the love of Mary Jane, you know. So th- there's a concern there. Can sure. you say a little more about that, mm-hmm. Christy, uh, the, the kind of the motivational piece? and Yeah, yeah. with uh, one of those long-term effects is that loss of motivation. You know, yes, they're all chilled out and they're calm, but, you know, at 40, they may be still sitting in their parents, you know, parents' living room watching TV and playing video games, you know. Yeah. There's just that, not that drive. It kind of dampens that drive um, to, yeah. to really get out and I, do much. And I think that's the reason that we have our our business groups in the state, your chambers of commerce, your retailers, your contractors, et cetera. For them, it's, it's a workforce issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of different angles at which you can come at this, this topic. Um, and I think too, that sort of belays, or it, it goes contrary to this narrative that I think that has been pushed of like, I'm a highly prosperous like tech worker and I just do this to chill a little bit at the end of the day. Right. It's like, really? Is that, is that true? Well, the question is, do you want your bus driver to be high on pot? I mean, do you want your, your nurse to be taking care of you after they've just smoked a, you know, a big blunt? I mean, I, that is definitely a workforce issue is that, you know, even if it's legal, are you going to be able to be employed? Because most of these critical jobs have UAs as a part of the requirement. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. What do we, uh, anything you want to, a couple minutes left here, Matt, anything else you want to kind of bring in the mix that we haven't talked about yet? So I'd like to talk about the specifics within the Constitutional Amendment A with regard to regulation. Yeah. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize. What it says is that the Department of Revenue will promulgate regulations. The Department of Revenue will regulate it at the state level, and then local authorities, must be meaning municipalities and or counties, will regulate it at the county level or the municipal level. What that means essentially is that you've got lots of different singers singing from different songbooks. Imagine you have a choir, everybody's singing from a different page in the hymnal. Mm. What do you have? You have a cacophony, you have chaos. ugly. Because every local group can have whatever local ordinances or regulations that they want. It's a very lazy constitutional amendment, and it puts it in the Constitution, so that's very hard to change. Yeah. Um, to me, it just it looks like a very chaotic type of a policy position from a local governing ability and a state governing ability. Well, and that's a great point, and one that has been raised by many lawyers in the state is that, look, a constitution, it's for the sake of constituting a form of government. You've got your balance of powers between different branches. You've got your processes and so forth, some of your, your fundamental human and political rights, speech, religion, et cetera. We don't use constitutions to to conduct widespread social drug experiments. You know, that's why we have elected representatives and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I just want to thank you both for taking the time to come on the program. For folks that wanted to maybe learn a little more about uh, Keystone, is there a website? Where could they learn a little more? Keystonetreatment.com. Okay. And I would also encourage our listeners, if they want to read some of the things that the South Dakota Catholic Conference has, uh, has put out there, you can go to sdcatholicconference.org and read some of our materials because we, we obviously, you know, we're very grateful for the, the scientific policy approach, but there's also a, a real kind of coral, core moral approach that we take also that you'll find in some of our, our materials. So thank you so much for, for both being on the program. And uh, dear listeners, until next time, live well. Thank you.